Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. Now this week, um, well, in the weeks just gone, we've just celebrated three whole years of the podcast, Matt. Amazing. Go us. Three whole years of us chatting about films. (laughs) I know, right? We haven't even got like kind kind listeners listening listening to us do it i mean yeah exactly thanks to everyone for listening sharing sticking with us couldn't do the show without you guys and the support of our patrons and everyone else um it's mm-hmm. really been a roller coaster it is we're coming up on 160 i think yeah we are we're getting Already. there be 200 before next year's out it will it really will be so to mark the occasion um, me and Matt were scratching our heads at Fof HQ, thinking, "What film could we do?" We thought, "Seven Private Ryan," nah. Black Hawk Down, nah. Another really popular war movie, nah. Well, I mean, this one might be popular depending uh, on who is. you are. I would, I would say it is. So, the movie we chose for this week, and if you've read the title of the show, you'll already know, but it is um, a film featuring one of the great American movie stars. It's John Wayne's 1949 film. Sands of Iwo Jima. It is, and I remember watching this as a kid, and it's one of those ones that was frequently on TV, mm-hmm. but doesn't seem to be anymore. Not very regularly, anyway. No. And I, I remember watching it as a kid, and then I, I vividly remembered when I was watching it again for the show. I remember playing on the stairs in in our house, like doing Mount Sir, um, Sir Hitting the beach, 
as like as like a six year old. I love it. <laughs> With like a, with like a vacuum cleaner pipe extension. I don't know. I don't know what I had. I probably had like a oh. water pistol or something. My okay. granddad got me. But yeah, I had a plastic Tommy gun. You know the ones from the joke shops Ooh, with the drum mag. Gucci, I had one of them. Nice. That was cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like it. No, I I remember seeing like half of this film on BBC One or BBC Two like years back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of their movies where I've seen like half of it. And at that time, I probably wasn't into military history as much. So I've gone, oh, that war movie's cool. And, you know, switch the channel. Uh, but anyway, I think we should get into the cast. Obviously, uh, this week, John Wayne is your main star. But I've called the cast section this week, cast, uh, open bracket, close bracket, the Gunsmoke and Rawhide Club. And it will become uh, evident as we go along. Yeah. But starting with John Wayne as Sergeant John M. Stryker, not Riker, got that wrong on the uh, Twitter the other day, got absolutely pelted for that um i, was, I didn't notice uh, oh my no i was th- I'm th- i was thinking of the lee marvin film i think oh and i was okay. like is it striker or Riker? and obviously i had a smartphone right. in my hand i could have checked but i was trying to get the you tweet could've. out but you, you went with classic mcguire brand of, of oh, getting the name wrong it, we've just got to do it it's just become a trope <laughs> anyway john wayne the legendary american actor as i said um he was once voted the greatest male star of classic american cinema um, and he famously didn't serve during the Second World War, as he was g- exempt from service due to not only his age, um, 34, at the time in 1941, um, but also that Republic Pictures, um, who he was contracted to at the time, being their only A-list star, might I add, threatened to uh, hit him with a lawsuit if he broke his contract. Um, and he also was family exempt from the American war effort as well. But he did apply to serve um, with the OSS in August of 1943. And if you check our Twitter, I've shared a page from that application, um, but he was turned down, uh, something which was said to him he was bitterly regretful of in later life. And it's become a bit of a meme, a bit of a legend that he refused to fight. But it's not really the truth. I think the myth has yeah. outweighed the truth there. People always point to his name, his actual non-screen name, you know, Marion, and, and like, oh, yeah. Marion didn't serve and all this kind of thing. But I think it's really interesting that he applied for perhaps one of the more secretive branches of the mm. US military. Uh, intelligence community after being such a prominent public figure yeah, that's interesting yeah interesting isn't it yeah here's our newest spy john wayne like yeah. he wouldn't work you can, you would can just picture you know some unsuspecting germans being like is that john wayne i'm here to do some secret stuff pilgrim that's the <laughs> first one the first one um <laughs> But no, I just thought I'd set the level straight there if people didn't know. Um, I think him not serving in the war isn't a reflection on him as a person because he clearly wanted to be involved. Mm. And he did a lot of press touring. He did a lot of help um, with the war effort in terms of propaganda stuff and doing tours for troops. So he did his bit. Um, Yeah, that's fair. Exactly. Um, But he's no stranger to war films. He appeared in The Flying Tigers, The Fighting Seabees, Back to Bataan, They Were Expendable, Ocean Pacifics, Flying Leathernecks, The Wings of the Eagles, The Longest Day, and In Harm's Way. Um, And, you know, that's a lot of films. I've got a box set on my um, shelf. There's all John Wayne war movies. Um, The John Wayne War Collection, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's got all those classics in there. Um, but he initially turned down the role of striker as he felt that he was too old at 42, but later took the part and he was paid $380,000 for the role. Um, not a small amount of money for anyone. Um, no. And he also received his first Oscar nomination for the role of striker. He didn't win, though. Um, and he spoke to Alan Isles 
for a 1979 book on his career, and he spoke about being a reactionary actor, saying that he wanted to react as if a real person would rather than act the part. Mm. Um, And he also spoke about being killed off in the film. And he said, I like the way they had me die in the sands of Iwo Jima. Dwan's a damn fine director. Guy hands you a cigarette. You say, stick around me. You live longer, pal, and he's dead. That's all. Uh, then we have John Agar as PFC, Peter Conway. He was an actor pre-war. He served in the Army Air Corps during the war. He was married to Shirley Temple for five years, from 1945 mm. to 1950. Bit of a voice crack there, leaving that in. Um, <laughs> um, and he starred alongside Wayne in Fort Apache. She wore a yellow ribbon and Big Jake. His war film credits include Breakthrough in 1950, Jet Attack 1958, and he also mm-hmm. appeared in westerns such as Rawhide and one episode of Combat 1966. Then we have Forrest Tucker as PFC Al Thomas. He's the boxer. Um, he was an actor pre-war as well, uh, served in the US Army during the war, becoming a second lieutenant. Post-war, he signed a contract with Republic Pictures, which led to his casting in the film. Um, his credits include 1942 Submarine Raider, Parachute Nurse, which is about the a- Aerial Nursing Corps, which I think would be oh, wow. interesting to cover. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, 1951's Oh Susanna, Fighting Coast Guard and Warpath. They were released in 51. And he also starred on TV in F Troop, Gunsmoke and Rawhide. Um, and he later did appear in uh, Columbo and Murder, She Wrote. Then we have Wally Castle as PFC Benny Regazzi. He's an Italian actor who emigrated to New York in the early 1910s. Um, his war film work includes 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, Story of G.I. Joe, uh, One Minute to Zero, and his TV work includes Rawhide, Gunsmoke, and the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, Western TV shows back there. <laughs> then we have James Brown, not that James Brown, um, as PFC Charlie Bass. Uh, he was in 1942's Wake Island, 1943's Air Force, Objective Burma, Sea Hornet, and Jet Pilot. He also appeared in Gunsmoke, Starsky and Hutch, Murder, She Wrote, and Dallas. Nice. Then we have Richard Webb as PFC Handsome Dan Shipley, uh, famously played Captain Midnight on, in, on the TV serial in the 50s. And he also starred in 1946's OSS alongside Alan Ladd. I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. It yeah. was an OSS movie. That one. We do. Um, 1951's Distant Drums, and uh, also no stranger to popular TV of the time, appearing in Gunsmoke, again, <laughs> gets Was he in Rawhide at all? He wasn't in Rawhide, oh, no. Okay. Uh, he must yeah. have been busy that day. Uh, he was in Get Smart, The Mod Squad, and Six Million Dollar Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Arthur Franz as Corporal Robert Dunn. He also serves as the film's narrator. He served as a B-24 navigator during the war, um, and his war movie credits include Jungle Patrol, Eight Iron Men, The Kane Mutiny, Battle Taxi, The Young Lions, and Anzio, so we've mentioned him on the film before, and he also appeared in Gunsmoke on the and Rawhide. Um, then we have Richard Jekyll as PFC Frank Flynn, in quite a earlyish role for him, uh, best known to us around here as Sergeant Bowron in the Dirty Dozen franchise, but he also appeared in Battleground, Attack and combat, and of course, Gunsmoke. Then we have the two female actors of the movie, uh, Julie Bishop playing Mary the Bar Girl. She was in Saber Jet in 1953, which is a Korean War aerial epic. Um, then she was in The Threat in the 30s and The Black Cat. Then we have uh, Adele Mara as Alison Bromley. She was a dancer turned actress, and she also starred with Wayne in 1948's uh, Wake of the Red Witch and The Fighting Seabees. And she also appeared in Hornet, uh, the Sea Hornet. 
Um, and that's the main players, really. Um, we also have William Murphy, Martin Milner, George Tynan, Hal Baylor, and Leonard Gumley, who also play Marines. And then really interesting, we have Iwo Jima flag raisers, Ira Hayes, John Bradley, and Rene Gagnon playing themselves, recreating the famous Iwo Jima flag lift for the film. Yeah, there's that scene where um, Wayne hands him the uh, the flag. Yeah, I like hands, that bit. Hands those three the flag. They kind of like close in and awkwardly look at the camera and he hands them <laughs> yeah. the flag. Yeah. Um, I was apparently... like, I did the, the, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme going, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> apparently, that is the actual flag that was raised. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the Marine Corps Museum at Quantico uh, allowed Republic to use it for the That's film. really cool. That's really, yeah. really cool. Um, put into know, the LA Times anyway. Oh, wow. Ira and John and Re- Rennie being like, oh, this old thing. Let's get it up again, lads. Come on. Yeah. Or oh, quick, because I want us to do another war bond tour. Um, <laughs> other famous Marines play themselves, including First Lieutenant Harold Schreer, um, who led the flag raising patrol on Mount Suribachi. Colonel David M. Shoup, who won a Medal of Honor during the Battle of Tarawa. He later served as the commandant of the Marine Corps. Um, resigning in the 60s over the American involvement of the Vietnam War. He was dead against it. Wow. Um, yeah. Then we have a uh, Lieutenant Colonel Henry Jim Crow, a U.S. Navy cross recipient, who commanded the 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines at Tarawa, along with 2,000 Marines um, who were used as extras. Yeah. And that's your uh, cast. Crow man. is the chap with the waxed moustache. Yeah. Who's he, in front of a LVT giving like orders and such. Really, really nice to see. I like how all the CEOs essentially are playing themselves. I like it's a nice yeah, little touch. It's good. It's nice that they they get them in just by having like little radio uh, conversation. Yeah, and it's like actuality stuff. Good. So it's it's it really fits in nicely. Yeah, um, we'll talk and about got that classic, not too comfortable on the camera acting yeah. style <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's fine it's a bit blocky in places it, but it's it's absolutely fine and it's great to have a movie where they've included them because it's quite a, very much a marine corps movie so it's nice to have oh, totally, them yeah. involved um so matt maybe you should do production now and then we can have the retro review absolutely as you mentioned directed by alan duan uh he started his career with silent films uh including soldiers of fortune in 1919 uh, he later went on to do films like The Three Musketeers in 1939, Friendly Enemies in 1942, um, Abroad with Two Yanks in 1944, and The Wild Blue Yonder in uh, 1951. And in between that, a whole plethora of noir films, comedies, um, adventure movies, all sorts of different things. Uh, the film had a, a 1.1 million budget, uh, although Huge. wasn't quite planned to be quite that much, but it uh. ran over a little bit. Uh, and it turned out to be Republic Pictures' biggest film to date yeah. um, when it was released. Uh, the story was devised and then co-written by uh, Harry Brown. And he joined the U.S. Army in 1941 and then went on during the war to write for Yank magazine and also wrote part of the um, the narration around the True Glory uh, documentary, which oh, was nice. released in 1945, which looks at D-Day and the Normandy landings. Yeah. Um, after the war, he went on to to screenwrite. He wrote uh, "A Walk in the Sun" uh, in 1945, uh, "Only the Valiant" in 51, "Apache Drums" uh, in the same year, "Bugles in the Afternoon" in 52, Eight Iron Men" another mention uh, nice. in 1952 as well. 
and he later wrote a 1963 episode of Combat. Yay! Yeah. What one? Um, I I can't remember. I haven't got that in my oh, notes. Fair enough. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, which was which was the one from 1966, Rob, that you mentioned earlier? <laughs> um, I don't know myself. <laughs> don't come for me. <laughs> so the film was co-written uh, between. Simon Mayo um, have got that on their pod. <laughs> yeah, they'd they'd have, you know. Commode would have known that. I know. True. <laughs> Um, so Brown co-wrote the film with uh, James Edward Grant. Um, he wrote a raft of John Wayne uh, movies later on. Um, some of his notable uh, military-esque movies include The Plunderers in 1948, The Flying Leathernecks, which you mentioned a moment ago in 51, The Last Wagon in 56. And he also wrote episodes of M-Squad with Lee Marvin. He's got hey. a Lee Marvin mention in there. Nice. Um, uh, and also he wrote the, the Alamo, which is, of course, the big John Wayne picture surrounding the uh, the siege of the alamo uh, and hostile guns in 1967 music was provided by uh victor young cinematography was handled by reggie lanning and as you already mentioned the film's uh technical advisors were some of the the the, uh, the ground commanders of the actual battles of tarot and uh the it shows it really shows that they were involved yeah there's there's certain bits isn't there like like the tarot landing there's certain angles of that that just feel really authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll get back. Like to that they looked really quite good. carefully at that contemporary footage, which we'll talk about later, and mm. photographs and stuff. Um, so uh, the film was filmed at the Marine Corps base at Camp Pendleton. Um, I think some of the, uh, the the landing sequences were filmed at the the Leo Carrillo, um State Beach, uh, the Santa Catalina Island, uh, Channel Islands, um, Thousand Oaks, and Republic Studios and Universal Studios. So they they filmed a lot around on different sets, and I I think the a lot of the internal stuff with um, you know the bars that they visit and some of the streets yeah. they walk down, a lot of that was Universal and, and clearly Republic a sound stage at some yeah. point. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you mentioned, it's Wayne's first um, nomination for an Academy Award, but it was also nominated um, for Best Film Editing. Um, Brown was nominated for uh, Best Motion Picture Story, and uh, the Republic Studios Sound Department was nominated for Best Sound Recording, but yeah. uh, but none of them won. Well, um, I think all the King's Men um, like cleaned up that year, I think, from my reading. Right, okay. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen that one. No, I haven't seen that one either. I think it made or has made around four million in rentals mm. since. I think I remember reading. Whenever that you online. see that figure on on sites like IMDb yeah. and, and Wikipedia, I always wonder: is when did that calculation stop? Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like yeah. some of those stopped in in the maybe late nineties, two thousands. I think so. I mean, it clearly, it's made its money back. Most John Wayne films turn a profit anyway. So I don't like, think Republic even exists anymore. But yeah, no, I don't think they do. Moving on to the retro review this week comes from Variety from December 31st, 1948, uh, 49, sorry. And they say, this is a vast saga of a Marine platoon whose history is traced from its early combat training through its storming of Iwo Jima's beaches to the historic flag raising episode atop the Sandy Atoll on the morning of February 23rd, 1945. It's loaded with the commercial ingredients of blazing action scope and spectacle but falls short of greatness because of its sentimental core and its superficial commentary on the war interesting i I like that it does do that um that classic thing of showing a platoon being molded in training and then throwing them into battle and seeing how they cope and it's like proto football jacket 
Yeah. Though so many films have done it, like Harpy yeah, Ridge and yeah. so many have done it. Um but yeah, there's there's an, there's a number of places where it kind of just sort of stumble a little bit, I think. A little bit. I think I think it well, we'll get to it later, but I really think it it spends a lot of time out of out of the training, out of battles that really do drag and do not a lot, yeah. in my opinion, to really establish anyone other than Stryker. Yeah, they're trying to establish way. all those characters. Yeah. But it doesn't quite work. No. You know, you look at a film like Battleground and that that does it really well. Um you know, there's a there's a dozen other films you could you could pick out. If you if you take 40 years later Heartbreak Ridge, that film does a you know a very long preamble. Like three yeah. quarters of the film is preamble of them getting ready for this op or just you know being Marines. And that does a you know But it's less static job. than this. That that's the thing that Heartbreak Ridge is less static in its Yeah, perhaps so in its building up of the people. Like, I think this one is a little bit static. Mm. Like, when John Wayne's not on screen, I'm like, when's John Wayne going to come back? Because these ancillary characters are a bit... They're not boring, but they're just not interesting enough. No, um, they don't have the 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 weight behind them no. in, in their characterization. Conway, like, they don't really... Uh, he's the he most creates, interesting one. He's, I mean, obviously, he's the main focus for them because he's the arguably second billing son of the um, yeah yeah son of the um, dead colonel colonel yeah and he has the chip on his shoulder which we'll talk about later on um but he he begins to great honestly fair enough for me anyway <laughs> a little a little bit there's there's some characters where you're like yeah you're just in it so striker can shout at you yeah kind you're of. just in it so striker can butt stroke you yeah or fight yeah. you you know yeah or, or hit you for having a coffee when you shouldn't have a coffee anyway uh, moving on to the one word reviews and we had another bumper crop of one word reviews thanks again was, for everyone yeah. who got Lots involved this week. yeah i know well, you pick popular films now you get popular response like it's, it's who knew it, it's always a surprise <laughs> for me rob i mean i know right <laughs> we, do, we do so few of these popular films <laughs> i know right <laughs> going against the mission statement of the show this week anyway anyway so moving on with them uh we have world war ii paul woodage says saddle up uh, Brian Williams goes with lock and load. Kevin Getz says in the major in the minority here, but overblown. Mm. Um, historical firearms. Our very own Matthew Moss goes with Pilgrim. Doghouse oh. Riley goes with Surabachi. David Current says the Duke. Eddie Bond goes with Marines. Tony Pollard um, goes with course content. Uh, we have uh, Stephen O'Neill with tremendous. Ian Miles says cheese. Hobby Buzzard goes with War Dodger. And uh, Dr. Grant T. Harwood goes with Surprisingly Good. And rounding off this week, we'll go with Ian Gorey that goes with Gritty. I like the I like the um the range of views we have there. There were quite like. a few. Yeah. It, I think this is a I think with John Wayne movies in particular, it falls down to whether you like John Wayne or not. <laughs> Oh, like, that's a very good point, actually. I yeah. think that really falls into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's that whole thing of the the 50s, 60s Hollywood system where obviously, you know, we, we're kind of we're not coming out of the studio system, but you know, you have certain contracted stars, things like that. So, mm. you know, you get your 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 Cary Grants, your 
Gregory Peck's, your, um, you know, uh, James, Jimmy Stewart's like yeah, it, it's, yeah. it, and I think the personality trumps the movie. So it, it's like, do you like these people from what you've seen of them in the magazines, in the newsreels, whatever, um, you know, interviews, post career, whatever. So like, if you like the actor, I think you like these movies. And I'm, I'm very much in the camp of I've never disliked John Wayne. Like, I don't get the whole, oh, John Wayne was a bit wooden. He was a bit this and about the other. He's actually quite a decent actor. Like, he, he, yes, he gets typecast, but he's good at doing what he does. Mm. Like, it's like Niven. Niven played the same guy in every bloody film, but we love Niven. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that is very true. And if you look at Wayne's career, he, he is typecast to a degree, but even within that, he does have some scope to do some work, and he was nominated for an Oscar numerous times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and on he the strength can of his act, performances. Like, he says he was obviously. I mentioned he said he was a reactionary, but he he gets it. He gets emotional weight. He can well, do it. That works really well for this film because there's a number of sequences that are built into this where he is reacting. So there's the mm. the sequence uh, when they land on Tarawa, and he is. Well, they're all bystanders for a while anyway, but yeah. he's a bystander watching what's going on with the, the flamethrower crew and the demolition um, engineers that are trying to blow the bunker. Um, and then later on, it's the, it's the same with when, uh, is it Bass that's calling him? Um, and you get these very tight close-up shots of, yeah. of Wayne reacting and they are his reaction. Yeah. Reactionary. I don't know how they did it. Coming to the fore. But if some of those close-ups, he looks really young. Like I, I'm like, is he 42 here? Like, it's he a very powerful young. arc lamp. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it might be. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. think lighting did it did a pretty interesting job because he does all look those Marlboros he yeah, smoked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does look remarkably young in some of them. He does. Um, and there's a number of those sequences where it is literally him reacting, and they are mm. it always goes to a very you know tight close-up. Yeah. Um, and he invariably does a lot with just facial expression yeah he does it's not always something that you associate with no you Wayne don't because i think he can he's more known for that physical presence brash big yeah. big duke you know that the yeah. reputation precedes him and i think that's more from his cowboy work more than anything else i think his his war work from what i've seen is pretty decent and i think he's maybe bringing a bit more of his a-game because of that whole debacle with him not being able to serve he wants to treat these movies with a more a level of mm. respect that maybe you're not going to do in a western because a western's a western but maybe for him yeah a war film more, was more serious of, material yeah 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 there's maybe something in that but uh, before we you know absolutely exhaust our john wayne memory banks we should move on to the alley tally this week and whatever a cast is hawking hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. My alley tally pick this week, and it, it's a mm. bit of a, I don't know what you, what you call it, meta, what you call it. I don't know whether it's ethereal or uh, it's it, it's not a piece of kit, essentially. So my alley pick this week is the things we see through the stock footage. So mm. there's co- copious amounts of stock footage cut into this movie. Uh, they're primi- primarily from 1943's With the Mar- Marines at Tarawa uh, documentary and To the Shores of Iwo Jima from 1945. They're both on the American um, uh, National Archives YouTube channel. You can see them very freely. Um, and they are fantastic pieces of documentary making. Um, colorized footage mixed in with um, uh, stock black and white footage. Really good stuff. So in the movie, uh, we get really some really cool stuff you just don't get in other war films. So you have Dodge WC-63 T-45 rocket launchers pummeling. Yes. Pummeling yeah. Sirabachi. My dad used to own a Dodge weapons carrier and I begged him to turn it into a rocket launcher truck. <laughs> I begged him. Um, he wouldn't do it. Um, some 3.5s on the back of it. I know, please. right? How cool are they? Um, I must make a YouTube video about them sometime. They're just really cool. They're used in Korea as oh, we well. We should do it together. I have a folder full of stuff on them because oh, I, me- I meant to do one. Rocket, <laughs> American World War II, Korean War rocket launchers coming soon to YouTube channels near you. Um, <laughs> And then we get um, some Sherman tanks that, actually, that were fighting in Korea, one named, uh, which is a Fisher M4A3 Sherman, called Comet 38, with Widowmaker written on its barrel. Uh, she served with the U.S. Marine Corps uh, 4th Tank Battalion during the battle. Um, and there's also some American Hargo tanks um, and uh, LCTs, Willis Jeeps, things like that. But it's how, it's how, the, it's not necessarily those things alone, but it's how this stock footage is cut in. Mm. And there's a, obviously that's a trope in itself of a 40s 50s 60s war films cutting in footage totally. when obviously oh we can't afford a destroyer so we'll just show a destroyer shooting stuff but this is one of the much better ways of this being used because you're obviously you're replicating tarot or you're replicating it with jimmer but you're cutting in footage not just because you have it to use but you're using it in a clever way so oh totally there's a section where thomas um has a cup of coffee and he doesn't go and help his, his his mates and they get killed. But there's a section where he's going up to meet them, which is cut in of an American soldier on his own yeah. going through the battle wreckage of Tarawa. And that's just such a great way of bridging gaps between scenes, but using that stock footage to your advantage rather than just going, hey, tanks, hey, a rocket launcher. You know, you're actually using it's it in a clever way. It's much more deft, isn't it? It's yeah. handled very lightly. I like the way they do it. I agree. And there's sections where... to some obviously i've seen those documentaries a a few times but i'm not not saying like i'm any expert on it but there's sections where if you're seeing this for the first time you might not realize in certain sections you're seeing stock footage because it's cut quite well and i just really i just really like that like that there's a reason it got best film editing because the editing is really great in those scenes um and then i'll I'll come back to tarawa um in the uh, favorite scene section because it's one of my favorite parts but 
that pretty much is my alley tally this week. Um, but I love Marine Corps HBTs. I just think they're one of those iconic uniforms from the Pacific period. And then you even get to see some of the, the Duck Hunter um, uh, style uniforms worn by the Marines. Oh, in yeah, stock footage, the, the, which is um, nice. Yeah, the uh, it's like blotchy, the blotchy yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, another one. Like Duck Hunter I'm not the I uniform guy, but yeah, I, I know no, the one. You I love mean. it. Also, good. I have a question. In a number of shots on the ships, they have like, is it life belts they're wearing? They have like belts on. I think the they might be shots. life belts. Yeah, I wondered that. Um, yeah, they did because no. they did wear them in Normandy. Only they had life belts, the black ones. Right, right. So they they, they go over like your front. They're like a big yeah. strip. Yeah, I think they might have been those. Okay, I thought that. I thought that. Uh, yeah, I, there's there's something about the way they use the footage. It really does work well, and I think because the the, the film stock that it was the film was actually filmed on is relatively close to the the film mm. stock that the contemporary footage was was filmed using. I think it I think it works really well because sometimes right, it's, it's you, great. You, you see you see films where they do it, even you know, films in the fifties that do it, but the, the difference in, in stock is just too much. So high. And it's, yeah. You can see it, you can see it instantly. Yeah. Um, where the contrast is completely different or you know, it just doesn't quite gel. But that was the the example you gave of where um Thomas is coming back from, from grabbing the coffee and the ammo. Um, that was as soon as you started talking about that. That was the exact scene that I, I, yeah, my mind went to. Yeah, and there's of, other sections. It's where, just it's like two seconds of footage, yeah, exactly. But yeah. it, it adds a, a really nice scale. It's completely it it works so well because it it's just a tiny little bridging, just bridges you to the next scene. But it's just it's nice because you get movement that actors yeah. wouldn't necessarily think of doing, and it just adds this level of authenticity to what the actors are doing. Um, and it really, really helps. And obviously having all the Marines as extras as well, like really helps the movie. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure some of those guys must have been on Iwo Jima and Tarawa. That it's just, you know, the odds are, are obvious on that one. There must have been some guys who did all three things um, or, yeah. you know, one or the other. But it, yeah, it, ha it has like a really enriching quality. It really helps this movie. So before I let Matt have his pick, I've got one more pick and we have to mention it. Um, it's lock and load, as we heard in the one word reviews. As they're about to get in a landing craft, the chap just looks down at the guys and he shouts lock and load it's really quick. Um, but that's the first time it's ever said on screen or any piece of film, any piece of media um, that Very it was cool. said in. Really, really cool. And apparently that term has been used uh, since at least 1940. It was printed in the manual um, for the base. It was printed in the basic field manual for the M1 Garand. Um, printed on page 79 and it says with <laughs> i checked um, it says with dummy rounds lock and load um so it's in there um but then cool. there's a train of thought that said it was used in from 1899 um when someone said it as well so no one's really sure where the term fully comes from um but in this movie it's the first time you hear it and it obviously it's gone on to be a you know proper military uh term but yeah it's nice i like it that is cool. I like that too. Also, one thing I did notice was um, towards the end of the film, when one of the the platoon is killed, he's Jewish and he he um, recites some Hebrew as he's dying. Yeah, that's nice. And and I thought, wow, God, that must be one of the earliest instances of Hebrew being in a film slash war movie. Yeah, yeah, pop, pop, an American film at least. 
Yeah. yeah. Just thought that was interesting. No, it's nice. Um, in terms of Ali kit this week, there's loads. I mean, even if you cut out all the great, you know, contemporary Stock footage, footage yeah. <laughs> um, there's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, you've already mentioned the flamethrower tank um, and the and the rocket launcher trucks. They're really cool. Um, and the and the Japanese hargos and stuff. But we've got John Wayne as an NCO purely armed with an M1 Grand. Which it's nice, isn't it? Seems to be. Like in later films, the NCO is always seen with either an M1 Carbine or, or a Thompson. And that's not wrong. No. But it's, it's interesting to see uh, an NCO throughout the whole film with a with a grand, and perhaps that's because um, of of Wayne's stature. Maybe he wouldn't look. I mean, he dwarfs um, the gar- Sorry, he dwarfs that grand. He makes it look tiny. He definitely wields it, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. Um, in terms of other stuff, uh, I really like seeing all the LB LBTs um, in those sequences, really cool. even the actual sequences where they were filmed. Um, some of the M2s are actually being used. The heavy machine guns are actually being That's used nice. on the LBTs um, in the tarot, tarot sequence. Um, there's an M1919A4 giving some support. Um, there's an M2 flamethrower, which I think we'll talk about probably during favorite scenes. Um, there's uh, a 1903A3 Springfield uh, yeah. in the training montage. There is. There's which... one in the landing craft in the tarot sequence as well. Is there? Yeah, the guy's got one, um, and I think, and that I think that in its own way, maybe not intentionally, but it does show the U.S. Marine Corps and their history of procurement and the issues that they had during the war, mm. um, which is you know maybe unintentional, um, but I like the fact that it was in there because you know they were still being used. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Um, then we've got uh, there's a couple of M1 carbines. The the platoon leader um, or the company commander has them. And there's a couple of others in the background. Uh, when they land on Tarot um, and they attack the pillbox, that there's a, a Type 96 light machine gun, which is giving an MG42 a run for its money with the rate of fire. Yeah. Oh, it no, is blasting. L for leather. Yeah. Like, it's got a rate of fire. In the, in the lock. Yeah. It's getting the fire. God knows what he's doing. The Type 96 has a, has a rate of fire of about 500, 550 rounds per minute, which is like a very steady rate. Mm. Where, where it's, it's not the buzzsaw that you get in those tarot sequences which is like a thousand rounds per second by the sound of it definitely mg42 territory um but it's sure. it's it's effective it's it um it makes it all the more you know foreboding um and then one one of the last things i'll i i did spot was the the bars are the early pattern M1918 rather than M1918A2. I, I spotted that a mile off. I was like, man, yeah. say their first war ones. He won't, he yeah. won't let that slide. Yeah. No, they've got the classic <laughs> big chunky um, uh, handguards at the front and, yeah. and the lack of bipod. And to be honest, the original was better than the A2. I think yeah. as, a, as a as an automatic rifle slash well, machine gun, they blast away with it in this, don't they? They do, and there's actually a nice sequence where the. the the two chaps in the in the dugout are running out of ammunition, and he he single shots. That's nice, um, yeah. And that that's a that's a good inclusion because it just adds to that we're running out of ammunition. Mm. And yeah, there's a bit where the guy like pulls the bayonet, a very alley bit where he, he pulls the bayonet out of his um his backpack, and yeah, have a sack and slots it on. I like yeah. that too. I'll say that as well. That that's probably the most M nineteen thirty six or was it M nineteen thirty seven pattern webbing. 
can't remember but that's the most of those haversacks i've ever seen on film like there's a bit where guys and i know i know it's not stock footage because i went and rewatched the tower of a dock to, to work some stuff out um because i'm a nerd and that shot of the guys getting out of the lct which is like a like a close shot and they got like about 30 20 lads or what they're getting out they've all mm. got that webbing on and obviously that's because the marines are involved it's the kit's still in service Definitely. but to have that is really nice and then to have guys taking them off and just run the rifle belts is really nice um i think i spotted a thompson in a background shot where a guy Ooh. had it like up on his like he was just holding it up but i couldn't mm. be sure um but there's definitely one or two in the stock footage but i guess that doesn't yeah, count because it's real but I think it, I think for Ali this week, in terms of kit the movie's got, I don't think there's anything wrong that I can think about, really. Um, Not that jumps out, anyway. No. There's a replica, or they've made their own flame-throwing Sherman, and it's got an extra barrel, and that's yes. not right. Um, it should be a a little um, a little sort of nozzle stuck on the hull with a trailer behind for the petrol. Mm. But I must have assumed they've rigged their I own. I wondered whether much that was a post-war. Yeah, I wonder whether that was a post-war. It could have been tank. It could have been. I, I'm not no. hot on my flame-throwing tanks. Um, no, I tried to find out, and I couldn't find anything. There was a couple of like models that the the um yeah showed that, and they they associated them with the the Korean War. But then when I tried to like dig a little bit deeper, I just couldn't. Mm. Find anything because maybe some Korean War flame tank experts out there can set us straight. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, please let us know. Um, and in terms of uh, Jap- Japanese kit again, there's Arasaka rifles. Um, there is. They don't look a hundred percent, but they're fine. You know, the kit's all right. It's not right. Not properly right for Japanese Second World War. Yeah, there's no helmet covers. Um, no. The officers wearing that. You know, he's got the white shirt underneath the, the actual jacket. Yeah, uh, which yeah. I don't think he would have been wearing in. You know, probably at that not. point in the no. battle, but it's fine. The amount of time, the amount of screen time the Japanese actually get in this is like nil. Um, yeah, remarkably little, isn't it? It's just a couple of ambush sequences and yeah, um, pick up shots. That's it. And there's possibly, and I don't know if you saw this, um, but I think we might have a contender for the most unsafe use of a blank firing weapon in a in a fifties war film. Um, there's a section on. The, in the Iwo Jima section where they're going up the mountain and a, a Japanese soldier comes out and he stabs the Jewish troop, oh, the Jewish yeah. soldier. And then the That's guy right. with the BAR gives him a burst. Poses it, it, yeah. It's so close that you see whatever they've packed that blank with and you, the, the muzzle flash, you see it like make his jacket ruffle. Ooh. And I'm like, at that range, you do some damage with a blank. And it's that just, is close. Yeah. I was like, wow. I rewound it a couple of times. I was like, that definitely hurt. Um, it's like about a yard. Like, yeah, exactly. A meter or so? Not a lot. Not yeah. a lot of distance at you all. Just, you just imagine that, you know, <laughs> film health and safety didn't exist back then. It's absolutely <laughs> fine. And one more thing before we jump off Ali Tally. And I wanted to ask Matt about this. Is when John Wayne fires his M1 Grand, mm-hmm. it's very little recoil. And there's very yeah. little muzzle flash. Is he firing mm. caps? He could be. Um, it's tricky to tell. I'd have to look at it again. But there's not a lot of recoil there. And no one reloads either. No, they don't, um, do they? Oh, one thing I will mention is actually, in, in terms of reloads, is uh, the, the BAR gunner has the right mag pouches. He does, yeah. On his on his webbing belt, yeah. We've all got bar um, belts, which is nice to see. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that's a good question. I think he he's probably firing blanks because I think the action does cycle. Okay, um, fair enough. I just wondered that's all because in, in some but, sections, but the recall like, isn't there, obviously. Huh. Um, well, obviously, Big Duke's you know soaking it up because he's he's John right, Lee. exactly. It, it's yeah. nothing to him. Yeah, exactly. And there we go. What a way to leave the Alitali there. <laughs> Into favorite scenes, Matt. Take us away. Um, it's tricky. I I I actually struggled to pick one, and I think the two standouts are the actual landing sequences. I think they're the strongest parts of the film. I think they work the best. They have that nice interweaving of the contemporary footage, mm-hmm. and they have a good scale to them. And we've talked about the levels of detail in terms of you're, kit. Li- you're literally really echoing me this week. It's the same yeah, for me. I, I, I think that re- works really well. Um, I won't go into it too much because I know you've probably no, it's fine. have some thoughts on it too. Um, one thing I did like was the the rare inclusion of the logistics guys bringing ammo ashore. That's nice. Yeah. And they're like, how's it going up there? Mm. And the same with the mortar crew as well, you know, asking, how's it going? What's it like yeah. up there? Um, yeah. The most badly timed coffee in cinema history, right there. Right, right. Easy if only he just for. gotten the coffee and gone. I know, right? No. Um, it's showing I, how raw they are still, isn't it? That's that's the reason. It is, it is, yeah. and that's a little, nice little bit of nuance. To be fair, um, another thing that I actually liked was the uh, the grenade training sequence, which is classic. There's yeah. so many parallels with this film and Heartbreak Ridge. It's actually it really is. Actually. If you think about it. Yeah, they kind of the whoever made Heartbreak Ridge really liked Sansa Ujima for sure. Um, you can see the similarities. You, you have yeah. that range danger situation again, where uh, yeah. a grenade, um, a grenade throwing range, and uh, a young recruit, or he's not a recruit because he's joined the platoon, so he they're just doing some remedial training, I guess. Um, yeah, getting ready for the next operation. Uh, a, a young marine throws a, I think it's an M2 grenade, and. He lets go of it and it rolls backwards down the embankment. Um, and John Wayne kind of leaps onto Conway and saves him because he's preoccupied reading a letter from home. Yeah, um, a cliche. Yeah, there's a lot of those in this film. Gee, um, I'm going to read my letter on this live grenade range. What a perfect <laughs> time. Uh, I like that scene. Um, no, it's, it's good. It's an all right one, yeah. I don't know whether you're going to mention this, but the flamethrowers, are you going to mention that? About nope. Tara. So, uh, well, I mentioned that, and then you can. There's a lot of them. I know your, that. <laughs> your favorite parts. So, there's a really nice section where the two there's two flamethrower guys that go up, and that's kind of a recreation of uh, Lieutenant Alexander um, Bonnyman's uh, Medal of Honor winning action. Nice. So he led a team, which is great because I'll talk about. He's actually in the film. Oh wow! Okay, Mister Mount Cast. Um. Well. He, he was killed. So he was actually ah. killed during the operation. So he's in ah, the contemporary right. footage. I see. I see. So, sorry. Yeah. So what they do is it's that clever use of footage again. So they include that Medal of Honor winning action where he led the, the flamethrower team. Um, but they change it slightly and have John Wayne throwing a couple of uh, satchel charges into the into the bunker. And a little bit later on from that sequence, all the Marines rush up once the bunker's destroyed. They all rush forward and they, they're firing over the ridgeline. Um, and then the film splices in a little bit of contemporary footage. And it's Bonnyman's team getting ready to go up 
to the uh, to another bunker. So it, it makes yeah. it like there's another bunker. That's nice. Um, but it's actually yeah. the actual event that they've just oh, recreated. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. He, he leads that up and actually shows. You don't see him. You just see the him and the team sure. attacking the bunker. Um, but again, it's there's another classic trope there. It's, it's the classic demo guy doesn't quite make it to the bunker with the satchel charge. Yeah. And the lead character has to do it. How many films yeah. are we seeing that do that? A thousand. I think it Steve even McQueen happens in Hell is for Heroes. Yeah, I was yeah. about to say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely there's a, a few load. more. There's definitely a few more. Longest Day. Longest I think Jeffrey day. Hunter gets it doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many. But anyway... You it's pick the same thing. If you see a satchel charge in a war movie and you're not the main character, don't volunteer. Don't touch you'll it. You'll buy it in two seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I echo Matt this week. Um, the Terror landings and the Iwo Jima landings, just they do have the great scale. Um, but for me, the Terror section, I think, stronger is the wrong word, but I prefer it in the way it was filmed because mm. the footage use is just expertly done. It's so well it's so well, it's seamless. Um, but I like how it, it does show Wayne's character, it shows Stryker as this battle-hardened veteran. Um, you know, he's obviously he's only battle-hardened in Guadalcanal, but I'm sure he was a pre-war Marine as well. Um, you get the feeling he's been in for well, a yeah, while. Yeah, well, they mentioned he was uh, in China with Thomas, don't they? So you know yeah. he's been in since he's the 30s. In, he's, he's seen some shit. Um, and they get on the beach, and you've got all the guys getting out of the LCTs, and then they take it, they stack up on that on that sea wall that uh mm. like the dock kind against of area the, yeah against the uh the logs that's it yeah the logs that's it that's quite a, a, you know like a, a iconic picture of tarawa mm. filming of tarawa <laughs> and the way they do it's really good i mean you get like you know you get ancillary characters being killed off you know willy nearly this film loves doing that i'll, I'll come back Another to that in a minute classic trope is the the young lad losing it and panicking yeah, running off even, and getting killed yeah I'll, I'll i'll come back to those deaths in a bit because they rankle with me um we've never seen him he's not even yeah, like one of the the characters I'll, he's just yeah. there to be killed on tower he's instant it, just, exactly yeah. it, it's a little bit irritating um but it shows you know it shows strikers battle hardened reputation is valid you know the men still hate them but he proves his worth to them um whether they like it or not they have to follow his rule and his lead and he does get many of them back off of tarawa um um but yet again i'm going to come back to this splicing of stock footage um because it's just so well done i think it's 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 got to be up there one of the finest ways of doing it um it also holds my favorite is the wrong word but interesting my most interestingly fascinating piece of footage from the pacific theater um so there's a small clip and i'm not sure if anyone would know it. It's in the Tarawa uh, documentary. You can freely go and find it. Um, there's this clip of Japanese troops running across an open area, and there's two trees, and there's two Marines covering this little clearing, and you see a group of Japanese troops run across, and the 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 US troops take a few pot shots at them. Then a smoke, I think it's a smoke grenade or something explodes, and there's loads of smoke, and they get covered. As 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 far as I'm aware, that's the only instance of footage. I think from the American Pacific campaign, because I know there's some from um, Indian troops fighting in the Pacific and there's some of New oh, Zealand troops yeah. fighting in the Pacific of both sides being captured on film at the same time, mm. not after the fact when they've been captured, not 
dead on the floor or something like that. It, it's both factions on screen at one time, and it's a sm- really small clip. Um, yeah. But I've I've always found it fascinating. There's a the, the way I found out about it. Didn't the Pacific recreate that shot? I think it I think it might have done actually, given its yeah. its recreation. Um, there's a documentary about combat cameramen that was on one of the Seven Private Ryan special DVDs, and it's all about that. And Tom Hanks presents it, and it's yeah, he they said in that that it's one of the few instances of both factions being on screen, and I, I like the way it's used. Um, yeah, I also cool. like to see it in film. It's really great. Um, but now that that tower section is just really well done. You get the you get the, obviously the bit with the coffee momentary lapse in concentration your friends die um and you get reprimanded for it later you see how raw these guys are even though they've had all of their training in there and they think they're up for it that you know they want to get going and you know strikers just like you know you'll have plenty of time to get at them now's the time to take cover and we finally learn about striker and his reputation in combat things like that we might up to that point we've seen him as just be this hard no nonsense take no shit guy who's training these troops but you know, in classic sort of grizzled NCO fashion, once he's in once he's in battle, he, you know, proves his worth and obviously, obviously he does with the satchel charge. But then he also shows that cold, bitter sort of um, seeing the day through kind of thing where they have to hold the line in the evening and you've got that man screaming for Stryker to come and get him and Stryker just um, doesn't waver. He's like, nope, we've got to do a job here. It's... I don't know whether I'm imagining it, but I feel like I saw a bit of a welling up. Yeah. In those reaction shots, in those those tight reaction shots. Yeah. He I, clearly I felt knows like... what he should do. Yeah. But he can't he wants do, to it. do Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like that. It's where it's where that characterization that Wayne's putting into it and where Stryker comes into his own in those scenes. I think when he's not in battle, I think the character is too cliched for me. Um, at times and I think the obviously every other scene with Stryker in is just to build up to that death at the end with the note with the letter I think on that note we're moving into final thoughts territory yeah as we always do um, I have an, I have a, a couple of issues uh, do you want to go first sure um, I feel like it's a, a film very much of its time Um and sometimes, yes. sometimes we say that when it's a derogatory thing, uh, in that it's a film that has um, sensibilities or says things that mm. you know just aren't. Oh, well, there's definitely a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment in this. If, oh you know, yeah, that, I mean, there's, that there's, there's, a, you don't, don't there's a great line where John Wayne calls the Japanese little lemon-coloured characters. I know. I was like, wow, which is is a bizarre um, derogatory. Yeah. Um, of its but, era, we must have very, must very much so. But what I mean by that is, it just has that kind of humour um, that doesn't quite, you know, it doesn't quite do anything for me. It doesn't transcend uh, its era. Does some it? films, some films of the era have similar sort of characterizations and and dialogue, and they do work. Um, yeah, there's a couple of scenes. There's a couple of scenes where it kind of does work. But a lot of it is, you know, very cliched. It's, but I mean, we actually, just to caveat for a second, we were talking about this before we began to record. And 1949, that's very early on for post-war war movies. Uh, they're still very much of the ilk of what was being made during the war. Yeah. Um, they're still 
arguably propaganda pieces. Um, and I think it's early on in those tropes. Mm. So perhaps it's a little bit more forgivable, but I just found Wayne's death to be really cliched. It was that happy death. He's expressing, I haven't felt this good in, you know, however long. Yeah. Shot. I um, see. I, I thought it was quite hard hitting. I thought it worked. Um, what didn't I, work for me was the letter reading after. Oh, I was about to go on to that. Yeah. So I, I feel yeah. when Thomas reads the letter, it's heavy handed. Mm, really heavy handed. Um, the sentiments there, that's nice, but yeah, it's just a bit heavy handed for me. Um, uh, the bit where Conway then goes, all right, let's get back in the war. That kind of works. That's okay. Yeah. It's cliche, I like him kind but of picking works. up the baton. I like that. That's yeah. good. And it shows that Iwo Jima didn't end with the flag raising because everyone thinks. Oh, I know. Got listeners I'll clear the rest of the island. That. Yeah. But there's like, two yeah, airfields, mate. <laughs> there's a whole fucking battle to fight, guys, you know. Um, but the, the thing for me is <clears throat> there's a number of points where it doesn't quite work. Doesn't all gel. And, no, I'll give you that. And I feel, I feel from reading some of the early reviews, you know, from from the period, even then, it was there was a, a couple of scenes for reviews that didn't work. Yeah, um, well, people are worn out. They just had six years of this. You know, they know it. Yeah, but we're entering that golden age of war movies, nineteen fifties, sixties. So it's it's a it's it's paradoxical. I would it's say a diff, it's a. It, I think those fifties, sixties war movies, they're not straight. A lot of them aren't straight recreations of battles. They're, you know, adventure films set in the war, or they're. Oh, oh no, I totally agree. So it's about as time goes on, they diverge away from whatever yeah. they were and yeah. become much more. Um, their movies set against war almost. Um, towards yeah, in, the in, end, in a sense, they? yeah. Your thing about the death of Striker really, really does harken to my big gripe with this movie is that every death. It's just laboriously carried out. So mm. when the the minuscule the minnow characters who don't have a lot of lines or just you know just learn a little bit about them, when they get killed on the beach yeah. in Tower, that's fine because they're dead and the movie moves on. Doesn't hang yeah. on them, they're shot, they're killed. That is a lot more hard-hitting than having every single character who we know a bit more about having a Western style quippy death near the end mm. like when mm. they get to tarot the movie really does it I'll badly good, i'll get a good night's sleep yeah yeah when they get to Those Jima, lines. that sort of stuff starts happening and it just rankle with me in the sense of you know you get the obviously it must be an early cliche of this but you get the young soldier who's reading being you know hassled for being a book a bookish guy then he gets killed and you see the name of the book in his top pocket and he was like we were young once or whatever it was and I was like, oh, for God's sake, like, come on. And then you have the guy who goes, yeah, I'll get a good sleep tonight. And he falls. And I'm like, this is Western, like, yeah, B-movie Western death stuff. And I thought, I tried to think about it contemporarily, where I was like, if I've just lived through the Second World War and I'm American, there's a high chance that someone in my family has fought, died, come back or whatever. I would feel that it's cheapening these boys, like, wartime efforts in cheapening their deaths in a way like there's a way mm. to deal with it and it just that really annoyed i don't know why but this I mean, I, the a, thing is sorry no, no i was I, just going to say there's a couple that do work 
the, uh, the two the guys that run out of ammunition that are attacked and ambushed that one works well um <laughs> i see but even he gets a quippy death where he's like where were you and i'm he like we don't die, need though. that he don't die he come back oh he comes back yeah he's he's the he's the um the the guy the corporal lance corporal that comes back in the tent and oh see he i tells, got, I got he tells so, some way i got so, really gi blind in this everyone merged into totally. each other oh yeah i couldn't i i couldn't pick him out but he he must be the only he must be that guy because he's the only one who would know <laughs> of course yeah. yeah so but my my thing there i would have had i, I would have necessarily i would have necessarily uh, sorry i would have shot that scene differently because i mm. think when the japanese guys ambush them it's really it looks bad so i would have had them just go into a trench and you see the top of the trench and you see the japanese guys rise up and bayonet them and then perhaps when the guy comes back with a coffee he could have you know grabbed him out or something um or something i just that scene just didn't it it was nearly there but the emotional yeah. hit of him finding his mates could have been a lot more hard hitting and oh, i think yeah. that's that's just totally. movie making of the time um perhaps and the writing of it but no those deaths just really rankle with I, I me i think the problem is with is it's a contrast because they're clearly reaching for uh a deeper more sentimental mm. impact especially with Wayne's character's death, but then with the other other members of the platoon that get killed, some of them going up um, up the mountain, that it's blinking, you miss it, they're gone. Um, yeah. You get one like two second shot of, of yeah, whoever exactly. it was, and that's a lot. I think better. the contrast between that and um, the more slapstick, mm. for lack of a better phrase, it just uh, the, I don't know the less annoyed me. The less um, the more empathetic deaths. They they kind of clash, I think. They do. There's a there's a yeah. marked contrast between the two. Mm. Yeah, and then and then, like my other main gripe is just, I I think as you probably agree, the start really drags, mm. trying to set everyone yeah. up. Like Battleground does it, but it does it in a different way because they're going from A to B, and you learn about them while they're going from A to B, yeah. rather than being in the same position. And then I feel. And like, no one in New Zealand sounds like they're from New Zealand. No, I know, right? <laughs> Conway marries a, a New Zealand girl who definitely doesn't yeah. sound like she's from New Zealand. Needless. It's needless. Like, I, <laughs> I just felt all those scenes were just typical, uh, like, you know, nearly 50s yes. B-plot of having a B-plot. Well, like, th th those sequences have that swelling, romantic mo movie music of the 40s and 50s. I don't need it in my film about they have Jima. terrible... Thanks clunky dialogue yeah flags right. of our fathers made that work because of the way that movie was made and the way the story was being told i expected mm. to see these guys out of the the army out of you know doing their war bond tours things like that but like in this movie i just feel like please get to tarawa please get to iwo jima so what the characterization that you're trying to set up here actually means something please. yeah the film really picks up yeah once once they get to Tarawa, and then it kind of slows down off. again, yeah. where they they're back on leave and stuff, and it doesn't really. I it kind of develops striker a little bit. Yeah, when, Con he, Conway's... when he meets the hooker, yeah, uh, and 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 finds their baby, you know, in the next room. But you could have you could have explained him having a kid another way. Like you could have had yeah. Conway and 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 Stryker having the chat about I don't like you. I'm not going to name my. 
I'm not going to make my kid join oh, the Marines. God. That's the way to show the, the, there was him so having a much, son. There's so much you could have done there. Conway has, you know, daddy issues, for lack of a better phrase, where his father's a former Marine, well, Marine Lieutenant Colonel, whatever, and he's died. And his father never thought he was good enough, Yeah, you know, couldn't hack it as a Marine, etc. So he's trying to prove something to his father. Stryker then becomes the ad hoc father figure who he's rebelling yeah. against. And Stryker just really can't be bothered with with the the you know the the drama. And yeah. kind of just time just, to grow up, pilgrim, you know. A number of times <laughs> where he's just like, Can we not do this? We just get that yeah. vibe. Yeah. But there's so much where you could have had a conversation with them instead of that sequence with the woman he picks up at the bar where he tells him, I'm going to be a father. Wayne says, I'm a, I am a father, um, but I've made mistakes, uh, yeah. which is ham-fistedly like, pushed into that letter at the end. It's all kitchen um, sink shit. And I fucking hate and it. <laughs> they could have had a, a conversation about Conway's father um, and it, it could have all you know come together a little bit better. Yeah. And it's, the payoff just, between their of their relationship, where he throws a, a shovel at the the Japanese officer so, with, the, so, with the sword, tiny. yeah, which is is great. But Good then scene. it's, it's oh, I hate the bit where he goes, "Thanks, Marine." They're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, I know. It just there's parts it's of the movie just, that just don't gel, and it and it annoys me because it takes away from what is a very good second half. Like hmm. w- apart from those scenes where they're out, w- when they're not in theater, it drags. But Apart from that, and I'm gonna sort of wreck on everything I've just said there. Apart from that, <laughs> that. It's, we loved it. On that, it's absolutely fine, and it's a it, it watches well. Like it's it's a proper Sunday afternoon movie. Like it is. It, it's, it's one of those it's films still that very good within the war movie genre. It's one that you should watch because it's mm. interesting in terms of when it comes out. In terms of yeah, it's the cusp of the Cold War. There's um, yeah, there's propaganda elements to it still in the way it's presented it's trying to be a little bit different in you know including those moments where striker has a complex character which yeah. lead men in that position ncos grizzled ncos don't always have complex characters in 50s war movies yeah 40s war movies um so it has it definitely has things to to speak up about it has its place if you enjoy battleground or you enjoy heartbreak ridge i would say go and go and watch this one um, cause they're kind of similar ilks, um, and it's out there. You know, it's it's, it's rentable. I'm, I'm sure it's still on the US Marine Corps movie list. Still, it probably is. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and it, you know, and if you're a fan of the Pacific Theatre, it's a good one to check out. So I think that was uh, 1949's The Sands of Iwo Jima. There, first John Wayne film on Under the Belt. There, Matt. Yeah, maybe we'll revisit John again. Oh, I think we'll I think we'll have more John down the line. We can um, we can actually do the um the flying leathernecks one. The fly so we can do the flying tigers one for Merc Month Three, because it's a mercenary film. Is it? Because the pilots were mercenaries. Of course they were, yeah. Yeah, it's a Merc yeah. film. Oh, there's there's loads we can do. Alamo, yeah. Green Berets. Green Berets, oh, I've missed yeah. that on the cast. I knew there was yeah. one. Yeah, Green his Berets last, is his last one. real war movie. But yeah, that was uh, Sands of Iwo Jima. Yeah, again, um, you know, a perfectly fine film. 
um, one um, to watch if you haven't. And as always, please check findingonfilm.com for all your war movie reviews. Um, you can catch up from episode one. Um, if you start and you uh, give us a tweet and let us know where you're starting from or what you're enjoying, we'll give you a retweet. We love uh, to interact with you guys. Do join us next week for another war movie review, and we'll catch you again soon. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pilgrim. Bye, Pilgrim. Bye, Pilgrim. That was, that was dire. If we do a John Wayne month, I need to work on my Pilgrim. I really do. Get off your landing craft and assault the beach, Pilgrim. Oh. <laughs> hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.